Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you Father, listen. This is our prayer. And consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. The last thing we need, Lord, is just another service. Father, we need a visitation from you. I love David in Psalm 139, Lord, that says, where shall I go from your spirit? If I send into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, even there, you are there. And so, Father, we, we're, not, we're, we're not praying that you would be uh, here because you're, you're, you're not everywhere. But, Father, we know that you're everywhere. We're asking you to allow us to experience you in a very unique way, a very fresh way. Father, we've come in today. Some of us are tired We've had chaotic weeks. We have chaotic situations that are left at home. And so, Father, we need the spirit to transform hearts today. Shift thinking, shift culture. So, Father, would you do it for your glory? Not for us, not unto us, not unto us, but for you to get the glory. So, Father, thank you for visiting us today so far. Lord, be with us for the remainder of this gathering. It is in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Let everybody say amen. Amen. Man, well, it is a delight and honor to be here. It is good to, to see y'all. Hey, listen, if y'all are standing and you want a seat, I, I think there's a couple of seats. Raise your hand if you have a seat next to you. There's one here. Uh, somebody can sit up here on, on my seat if you want it. If you don't want it, cool. I offered. Uh, it's good to be here, man, praising the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I love the way Psalm 48 says it. Great is the Lord. He is greatly to be praised in the city of our God. And that is the reason why we come. Do not get it twisted. We are here to praise our God. And we try to do that a few ways. Uh, we we want to do that through song. So all of our songs, we want to make sure that Jesus is being lifted up. And the second way we try to do that is through the preaching. Uh, and uh, I have a lot to do in a short amount of time to do it in. So grab your Bibles. Let's get to work. We're in Genesis 39. If you don't know where Genesis is, we have a problem. Uh, Genesis 39 is where we're going to be. Hey, really quickly, I just want to reiterate uh, something that was announced, and that's our fourth Wednesday night prayer and Bible study happening this Wednesday. I'm excited about it, talking about faith and finance. Uh, not only that, but really digging deep uh, into what does debt look like and what does the Bible say about debt. I really think that debt is one of the things that, um, uh, particularly in the African-American community, we we just, I mean, we overlook it like it, it'll handle itself and debt never handles itself. And so looking at what the scriptures say about that, I think if I took a notebook and passed it around the entire room and had you write down uh, what amount you owe to somebody else, I, I guarantee you we would be too much. We would be... <laughs> We would be overwhelmed because y'all, this is a room full of millennials. Y'all know Sally Mae don't know Jesus, right? Yeah. Sally Mae don't know the Lord. So if y'all see her, y'all make sure y'all share the gospel with Sally Mae. And so we're going to be talking about that this Wednesday. I'm excited because uh, we have a practitioner that is going to be helping us understand what our finances look like. And uh, that is Nina. Wave, wave your hands, Nina. Nina's going to be teaching us. I don't know if y'all see that hoodie she got on. It's, it says Black Wealth Matters. She's going to be teaching us uh, and working through what the scriptures say uh, about uh, debt and giving us some practical tools about finances and stewardship and giving because you can get out of debt and still be bad with your finances. So she's going to work us through what that looks like. And I'm so excited. So let's get here. Seven o'clock. We'll be praying. 
7.30, we'll be off our knees or whatever posture you choose to pray in. And at 7.30, we'll jump right into Bible study. All right, let's get at it. My niece is here, by the way. Wave your hand, Jasmine. My niece in the back. Wave your hand. Her, her fiance, CJ, wave your hand, brother. Amen. That is my oldest brother's daughter. She moved to New York. She's practicing law down by Wall Street. She's brilliant and beautiful. Amen. And I'm, I'm excited that, uh, that, that she's up here. So Unc is trying to make sure she's taken care of in these New York streets because she's a Southern belle. So I got to make sure that she's all right. All right. Genesis 39 is where we are. Um, we started a series last week called Boundaries and tried to, um, just a quick recap, tried to look at Mark 1 as Jesus uh, set up boundaries, particularly people boundaries. Remember Mark 1 uh, verse 35, it says that, uh, that, that Jesus went to a desolate place and there he prayed. So there was a moment where Jesus got away from the boys in order to spend time with the Lord. But not only that, his boundaries uh, were, were challenged in verse 37. They said, everybody's looking for you. And he's like, all right, let's go to Galilee. And so last week we looked at like people boundaries, emotional boundaries. And this week uh, we're talking about sexual boundaries. And so we are going there, all the way there. Uh, sometimes I have no filter, so please... Pray that I don't say the wrong thing today. All right, let's dig in. We're in verse six, Genesis 39, verse six. A little lengthy, but bear with me. So he, meaning Potiphar, left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, underline these three words, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put me, he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you. Because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men were in the house, were there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, here it is again, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and, she, and he had fled out of the house, she called the, men, the, she called the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. She's so trifling. Verse 15. And as soon as he had heard as soon as he had heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up her garment by her until her master came home. And she told him the same story. The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house and as soon as his master or, or Potiphar heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison 
the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. That is so important that you make a note that he's in the same place that the, the king's prisoners go. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the, it gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of prison. It says the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were there in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one to do it. Last verse. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. I want to preach today from the topic entitled Thirst Trap. Thirst Trap. Look at your neighbor and just say, are you thirsty? We're going to find out by the end of this passage. Let's look to the Lord real quick. Father, we thank you. We're we're at it again, Lord. We're we're back in your word, and and we don't want to presume upon your goodness. We need you, God. We need you to speak to us today. We need you to open up our eyes so that we can behold the wondrous things out of your law. Father, I'm praying for for not just a bunch of notes to be taken, but I, I pray, oh God, for transformed lives today. Would you make us a healthy church because we have boundaries and guards up? Would you make us healthy people because we have sexual limits to what we will do? So, Father, would you expose us today? That's the greatest thing we need. We need exposure. We we need to know we wrong when we wrong. So, Father, would your word do that? Not my opinion, but your word. Father, I pray finally that Jesus would be the hero of this passage. Even though he's not explicitly mentioned, Father, help us to look at Jesus, Jesus, not Joseph. Help us to look at Jesus and the work that he accomplished on the cross, which gives us the power to say no. It's in Christ's name we pray and give all glory. Let everybody say amen. Amen. Thirst trap. Uh, One afternoon, chilly afternoon, during the spring, a few springs ago, I was sitting in my backyard and uh, I just got a new book. And so I was excited to crack it open and start reading. Uh, At the same time, my wife just got me a new fire pit. Put the assembled the fire pit and put it together and sitting in my small backyard with my new book. I got some fresh logs. I threw them on and I lit a fire. And I mean, the night couldn't have been more perfect. It, it was very calm. It was very peaceful until a few minutes later when I heard sirens outside. And then I looked through my back door and firemen were busting down my back door and jumping over my neighbor's fence to get into my yard. Clearly, they thought that I had a fire back there that was out of control. But I didn't. When they got there, I was shocked and I was surprised. And my response to them was, I I have a controlled fire. I have a fire that's in a fire pit. And fire pits are interesting. Fire pits are interesting. I I did not know in the five boroughs of New York that they're illegal. I don't know if you knew that, (laughs) but I didn't know that that day. I quickly found it out. And, you know, fire pits are interesting because they provide you with the ability to get warmth that you need from the fire. However, that same fire without the boundaries of the fire pit can burn down the whole house. It's dangerous without the fire pit, without limits, without boundaries. It doesn't only burn down my house. It burns down the whole block. And hear me and hear me well. That is the same way when it comes to sex. If you can stay within the boundaries that the the scriptures give us between a husband and a wife, you are free to to enjoy and be fruitful and multiply and enjoy. You know, the first mention of sex was actually positive. 
It wasn't negative. Be fruitful and multiply. Enjoy. You're married. And so if we stay within the boundaries that the Bible gives us, there is safety. There is enjoyment. But once you step out, once you get outside of the boundaries, we are now in dangerous territory. And I love Joseph because he provides us with the perfect example of what it looks like to have limits on what he will do and what he will not do. He gives us a perfect example of what it looks like to have sexual boundaries. And just like last week, the boundaries were challenged. His boundaries will be challenged today. And his boundaries are challenged not just by anybody, but by a woman, not just by any woman, but by a married woman, not just by any married woman. But his boss's wife is going to challenge his boundaries today. Now, quick disclaimer before we dig into the passage, uh, this sermon is PG-13. Look at your neighbor and just say it's PG-13. It is not suitable for children. So if you're listening by podcast, if you're watching this today on on the video, we are excited that you're watching. Uh, But if Jojo's in the back seat, you might want to put your headphones on. Maybe Jojo don't want to hear some of the stuff I'm going to say today because I'm going to get explicit. Because one of the most frustrating parts about talking about sex is we're talking about it outside of the church, but it's taboo to talk about it inside the church. Oh, but we're going there today. So y'all, y'all, y'all just put your seatbelts on as we work through Genesis 39. Look at verse six with me. Look how it starts out. So he, Potiphar, left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concerns about anything but the food that he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form. And in appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. There's a couple of things that you should note right off the bat. Number one, Joseph is handsome in form and in appearance. That means he's cute and he probably worked out and had a nice body. I don't know if he looked like Idris Elba. I don't know if he looked like Michael B. Jordan. I don't know if he looked like what's the dude from Queen Sugar? Kofi. I don't know if he looked like Kofi. I don't know who he looked like, but here's what I know. He don't look like little Wayne. That was a little, that was a little shade right there. What, what we gather from verse six is that he is handsome in form and in appearance. And most of the time, if not all the time in the Old Testament, whenever the Bible says someone is gives us the detail, this physical detail that they're handsome in form or in appearance, it's typically tied with negativity. Did you know that? So Saul, Saul is mentioned as being handsome. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, this is what it says. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than Saul. But Saul is also tied with negativity because this is the same Saul that when he rose to the power of being king, he forgot who God was. So the Bible says God forgot who he was. God removed him from his kingship. Also, uh, Absalom. Absalom is mentioned as being handsome as well. Second Samuel chapter 14. Now, in all of Israel, there was no one to be praised much more for their handsome appearance than Absalom. Watch how cute he is. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was not even a blemish on him. But Absalom, just like Saul, is tied to negativity because Absalom tries to take the throne from his father, David. And once again, the Bible gives us this detail about Joseph and it's tied to negativity. How do I know? Because it is his his attractiveness that lures and gets him unwanted advances from his boss's wife. 
So he is tied to the same negativity. The Bible says that in verse seven, that she looks at him and she gives him this phrase, lie with me. You know how aggressive that is? The the Old Testament was written in a language called Hebrew. And in Hebrew, this is not an option. That this is not a good idea. That this is this is not something that you can choose to do or not to do. He is she is giving an imperative. This is a command in the Hebrew. It literally means sex. Now it means right now you study Hebrew mama. This means right now sex now. And, and hear me and hear me well. What this woman is doing right now is, is really putting him in a predicament that if he says no, it could cost him his life. You, you got to understand something that's happening right now. The temptation is real. How hard it is to say no is real. And I know that some of your stories, the temptation that you are facing when it comes to sex is real. It's it's out there. And sometimes it doesn't feel like it's a suggestion for you. It feels like a command for you. But in the scripture, she's not giving him. It's mandatory because he's a prisoner. Right. Not a prisoner. He's a slave right now. Like literally Potiphar and Potiphar's wife own him. And so in other words, her saying lie with me or sex now, what she's really doing is saying, if you don't do this, then you've disobeyed me. Disobeying me as a slave is death. So this is a hard situation from him because declining her could cost him his life. And here's the reality. From a human perspective, sleeping with her could be actually a good move from a human perspective. I mean, this could advance his career. He could move up the corporate ladder in, in Potiphar's house. I mean, he's a, he's a slave, so therefore he has no prospect for marriage. He won't get married as a slave. And so every now and then getting a quickie from Potiphar's wife might actually be a good idea from a human perspective. If he does a good job, maybe she'll go to her husband and say, release him. This could be his way out. you got to understand how serious this is right now. We read the passages like this and we rush over them. Okay, she wants sex, but... This is hard for him to say no, but I love him because even though the Bible says he's attractive in appearance, I think his attract his attractiveness is more his character than anything. Why? Because he's willing to say no, even though he can get away with it. And that's when you know you got real good boundaries. You know, you got real good boundaries, not publicly, but privately, when nobody else would know, when nobody else would find out, when you can get away with it, when you up at three o'clock in the morning with the laptop open and you choose to close it and go to sleep because you got boundaries, then and only then are the boundaries good boundaries, private boundaries. And so the Bible says that Joseph here. He, 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 uh, Joseph is being pursued by a woman that wants sexual pleasure from him. And, you know, her saying to him sex now, it puts him in such a place that, you know, I love him because he doesn't try to spiritualize this right now. He's not he's not looking and going, okay, let me disciple her. He's not in this moment going, let me teach her a biblical lesson on purity. Let me teach her the Hebrew of what it means to be faithful. He doesn't do any of that. The Bible says he flees. He gets out of the house and I do not want to downplay how hard your temptation is. I know the temptation is real. Sometimes a cold shower don't work. What are you going to do when reading the Bible? You still horny. Okay. see, we talking about this in text message. but We can't talk in church. Y'all going to leave me out there. What, What happens? What happens when you go through Romans and your mind still is wandering? 
What you need is Galatians chapter 5. You need spiritual discipline. You need what Joseph has. He's like, nah, I can't do that. The Bible says, she says, sex now. She says, lie with me. And her saying, lie with me, you got to note that she's also abusing her power. Because as Potiphar's wife, she knows that he's not able to say no or else that's death for him. So what she's doing is she's asserting an authority over him that is abusive. And although the text gives us this abuse happening from a woman to a man in our culture, I've seen far too many times where a man tries to exercise authority over a woman that he don't have. We try to exercise authority over females. And you know, the main ways we see this, brothers, we got to be careful with how aggressive we're pushing up. You got to be aggressive with, all, with trying to pressure her to have sex. You've got to be and most of the time. I see this and how guys try to holler at females. Yo, shorty. Like, bro, you're a bum. You're across the street. Like, and, and, and hear me, ladies, ladies, I apologize on behalf of all men because I know it is hard for you to go through the day. You can't jog without somebody trying to holler at you. Yo, ma, come here. Why put a smile on your face? Why are you always looking angry? I'm angry because every time I walk by, you try to holler at me. Go get a job. That's why I'm angry. I, I, I was walking down the street with Ty and, and we were walking and... And I was walking a few steps ahead of her. And because she was behind me, we walked past these young guys and they didn't know that she was with me. And so this young guy tried to holler at her. And then I turned around and he knows that I'm nice with these hands. And so he backed up. He says, I'm sorry, that, that was disrespectful. I didn't mean to be disrespectful. Anybody saved that still got hands? I mean, y'all? Okay. Just, just want to check. Don't push up the wrong way. Cause I'm saved and I'm still being sanctified, so I might cuss you out too. I, y'all being real? So the Bible says, the Bible says that she's pressuring him. She's exercising an authority over him. Yeah, I was talking to Lamique earlier this week, and she said that she was coming to the church, and on her way to the church, this dude was like, "Yo, you look like a chocolate piece of candy. That I want to bite into." I'm like, "Bro, I knock your teeth out, bro." Like, like, like seriously. What you're saying in that moment is you look like candy that I want to own. You're exercising dominance and a power that you don't have over a female that you don't even know. So Potiphar's wife tries her best to lure him in by exercising authority over him. And it is dangerous. And brothers, even though this is a woman in the text doing it, we got to be so very careful with how you try to exercise seeming authority over a female that you really don't got. Hello, somebody. So the Bible says that she comes to him. She sees his handsome appearance. She sees his handsome form. In verse seven, she says, lie with me. But I love him because his response to her is great. Look at his response. Verse seven. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on him on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concerns about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except for you because you are his wife. Don't miss this part of the text. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin? Please note that he realized that if he falls into the thirst trap, it's not just a bad thing. It's not just a naughty thing you slap your hand on. It is great wickedness and sin. 
He realizes that if he crosses the sexual boundaries, he identifies it as sin and wicked. Why why is this important? Because one of the things I've experienced with uh, pastoring is uh, one of the first steps that is taken when you start to be attracted to a particular sin is we stop calling it sin. We just say, that's how I am. Culture accepts this because it's a cultural norm. The church is behind the time. Everybody else doing it. I ain't that bad. We all got sin. Pastor B tell me every week that I'm a sinner. So therefore, it should be acceptable. And what you're doing is you don't have limits because what you're doing is justifying your appetite for a particular sin. And you stop calling it sin. We stop calling it great wickedness. We stop calling it sin. But I love Joseph because he understands that the thirst trap is so dangerous because it is great wickedness and it is sin. You've been desensitized to the sin. You've been so desensitized that you think that it's acceptable because everybody is doing it. But in reality, it is not acceptable. It's great wickedness. It is sin. Okay, Pastor B, you got to just be explicit. Give me details. Give me a list of where I'm desensitized. We do that with oral sex. How do I know this? Because what we do is we be like, he ain't penetrate. We ain't doing it. We ain't really doing it. And so we have, why can't we have oral sex? It's actually safer. Somebody actually told me this. It's safer to do oral sex because you, uh, you, it's less likely to get transmitted diseases. There's no risk of pregnancy. So therefore, why can't we have oral sex? But in reality, what does the Bible say? What does God say about, and I'm not talking married folk. Listen, if you're married, have fun. There's a there's a verse in Song of Solomon where Solomon says, I want to go into her garden and eat of its fruits. I need a husband to say, praise God for Song of Solomon. I'm just saying to save your marriage, you read Song of Solomon. We do this with oral sex. We be like, you know what? It it ain't really sex, but the Bible is clear. Here's what Ephesians chapter five, verse three says. But sexual immorality and all impurity, all impurity, all impurity must not be named amongst you. Stop playing with it and call it what it is. It's sin. Let's Let's just be real. That's what it is. We do this with other alternatives to sex as well. Let's just keep our clothes on. We used to call it dry humping. See, y'all thought just teenagers dry hump. Some of y'all adults got your clothes on and you go all the way. But what it is, is it's sin. All impurity, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3, all impurity must not be named amongst you. And that is what we do. We look for loopholes to justify our perversion. In reality, he, see, I, I love Joseph because he's not justifying anything. He's not seeing, he realizes That it's sin and it's wicked, but he also realizes who the sin is against. Verse 9 says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? What's crazy is you would think that he would say, how can I do this great wickedness against my boss Potiphar? How can I do this great wickedness against you? He does. He understands that the greatest offense when it comes to falling to the thirst trap is a sin against God. David does the same thing when he sleeps with Bathsheba in Psalm 51. He picks up the pen and writes a repentance tucked away in verse number four. I love David because he says against you, God, and you alone have I sinned. Bro, you sinned against Uriah. You you sinned against Bathsheba. But he understands that the greatest offense in the thirst trap is sinning against God. And so he says, how can I do this great wickedness? 
And how can I do this great sin? He doesn't try to justify any of his behavior. He knows that it's wicked. He knows his sin. But watch what happens here in verse, verse 10. Because she's persistent. Remember last week when I said, you're, it's not enough just to set up boundaries. You got to maintain the boundaries. The reason you got to maintain them is because especially with sex, it's persistent. You might say no today and then Monday be weak. But you got to know how to maintain the boundaries because homegirl in the text is persistence. Y'all would say it's thought like behavior, but I'm not going to I'm not going to say that. I'm going to just say that she's persistent. How do I know she's persistent? Look at verse 10. And as she spoke to Joseph, here's persistence day after day. And he would not listen to her or lie beside her or be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do the work, to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me or sex now. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out. I I love this because, you know, day after day, she's coming to him and she's trying to seduce him. She's trying to lure him in day after day. And the Bible says that he wouldn't be with her. He wouldn't lay next to her. He wouldn't even listen to her. It got so bad that verse 12 says, the only option I have in this situation is to run. See, what we do is he's not, he's not staying in the house and saying, some harmless flirting ain't that bad. I can just flirt with her a little bit. See, what we do is we try to see if we can get close enough to the fire without getting burned. Anybody ever did that? You walked in and you said, I ain't going that far. And you went all the way. What you did was you tried to play with fire and you got burned. But the Bible says that Joseph doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't sit there and demand, uh, uh, deny her sex, but get caught up in an emotional affair. Because, you know, some people don't want to sleep with you. They just want to know that they can. So you get caught up in an emotional affair. He doesn't even do that. Joseph flees. He doesn't spiritualize this. He doesn't say, I'm going to give her the gospel. He doesn't do none of that because the reality, here's the reality when it comes to it. Many of you are dating somebody and you're in a sinful uh, relationship and you're calling it evangelism. You can't disciple who you're sleeping with. Huh? We, we, listen to me. This is what we do. We get in the relationship and we be like, I'm going I'm to have some spirituality rub off on her. Nah, bro, she going to rub off on you. I'm going to give him the gospel. He's going to come to know the Lord. But at the same time, we sleeping together. No, it don't work. It always is the opposite. You always take on his spirit. He never takes on yours. And that's what we've done is we've tried to spiritualize the situation. Joseph doesn't do that. Joseph is not sitting in the house going, how can I give her this gospel? He says, there's one option that I'm left with. I got to run. And some of you, you're in a situation right now where the only option you got is out. The only you haven't run enough. You, you haven't fled. You you're still there. You're entertaining him. You're entertaining it. And what you're doing is you're getting close to the fire. You will get burned. You will. I watched an interview with 50, uh, 50 Cent. And in this interview, he was talking about Takashi 69 pre uh, pre pre him going to jail and snitching on everybody. And, and, and so he, in this interview, the interviewer says to 50, he, he says, you know, Takashi 69 just has a lot of fans around the world. How does he get so many fans? And, and his response was interesting to me. He said he gets so many fans because most people want to be in the gangster life, but they don't want to get shot. 
And so therefore, they listen to his music to see what they get. And then he gives this analogy. And in the analogy, he talks about riding on the safari, the animal safari. And he says, the reason why we ride on the animal safari is because you want to get close enough to the animal without getting mangled. But here's the reality when it comes to sex. You play with the animal called sin. It will bite you. It will mangle you. It will destroy you. And some of you are playing with it right now. You're in the midst of it right now. What you're doing is trying to get close to the fire. I love Proverbs 16 where it says uh, 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 that how can a man carry fire next to his chest and not get burned? No, you'll get burned. It, it will get you. You ever seen the videos with, with the people sitting in the, next to the animal and they petting the lion? I'm always rooting for the animal. I'm like, you a fool right now. They petting the bear. And, and, you know, maybe he's not hungry at that moment. But at some point when he's hungry enough, he will devour you. And what you doing is you think I'm getting, you know, I'm getting away with it. We ain't do nothing. We getting close to doing it, but we ain't do nothing yet. But you will stay in there. Stay in the ring. Stay in the fire and you will get burned. So the Bible says that she comes to him and she grabs him and. And she says, lie with me. And he's like, no, I can't do that. And in fact, I'm not even going to answer you. I'm just going to run. I'm just going to leave. That's where you are right now. You just need to run and get out of here. Let's see what else happens here. Now, watch how she lies on him. This, this, this really made me feel bad for your boy. Verse 13, as soon as she saw that he had left the garment in her, in, in her hand and had fled out of the house. She called the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. And he came into me to lie with me and I cried with a loud voice. I'm going to skip down to verse 17 because she says the, first, the same thing to him in verse 17. She says it to her husband. Now she was talking to the guys in the house and now she's like, my husband's home. She laid next to the garment all the time. You know, that's a little weird too. She laid next to the garment until the husband came home. Potiphar comes home. She recites the same story to him and essentially lies on him. And the Bible says in verse 19, as soon as he heard it, he was angry. The anger in him kindled and it was so kindled that he threw him in prison. And, you know, when I read this, I'm like, man, I feel bad for Joseph, not just here, but look at the story of Joseph. He's put into a pit because his brothers were envious of him from the pit. He is sold into slavery and now he is a slave of Potiphar. Now that he's a slave of Potiphar, Potiphar wife lies on him and he gets put in jail. But understand, he was not in jail for a day. If I understand my Bible correctly, Psalm 41, verse 1 tells me he was there for two years. All because he had boundaries. All because he had limits. All because he didn't want to fall into the thirst trap. He was put into prison for two long years. And I think there's a purpose to him being put in prison. You know what I love about God? Even though he was in prison, God didn't leave him. You know how I know? Because there's a melodic line that runs through Genesis 39. I don't know if you picked it up, but there's a phrase that a phrase that repeats itself over and over again. It's in verse two. It's in verse three. It's in verse 21 and it's in verse 23. Can I read that to you real quick? It says verse two, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse three, his master saw that the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 23, the Lord was with him. Joseph, even though he was maintaining boundaries and he keeps getting the short end of the stick in life, God remained with him. And I don't know who you are in here, but 
please hear me and hear me clearly that you might be upholding boundaries and it might be hard and you might be ready to give in, but God is with you. Or maybe the opposite. Maybe you fail. Maybe last night was a turn up night and you fell last night, but you can be redeemed this morning because God is with you. If you've trusted in Jesus, Jesus says crazy stuff like, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah, you might have failed, but get back up because God is with you. The Bible says that God was with Joseph. You know, when I read this passage, I often don't understand why in the world would God do this to him? Why, why would he allow people to put him into uh, put him into a pit, sell him into into slavery and then get lied on to get into a, a prison that he's there for two years and he does it all because he's faithful to the Lord. But I realized something so strategic earlier this week. Here's what I realized that if Joseph, it doesn't have boundaries, if he falls into the thirst trap and Genesis 39, the rest of the scriptures are tampered with. You, you got to understand how woven together the scriptures are. If you pull a string in Genesis 39, the New Testament wrinkles. You got to understand. Now, God is not in heaven bound by Joseph's behavior, but you cannot deny that God uses Joseph's boundaries and his limits in order to push us all the way to Christ. Can I show you it? Now, do me a favor. Don't check out on your boy on this. I see some of y'all falling asleep. Come on, y'all wake up. If you go on your phone on Facebook, I pray your thumbs would cramp up and your phone would just shut off. Because what I want to do is I literally want to walk us from a, a genealogy from, from Adam all the way to Jesus. Let me say that again. I want to walk us through a genealogy from Adam to Jesus. And then stay with me because I want to show you how chapter 39 fits within the greater scheme of scripture. Y'all going to stay with your boy? Okay, let's put on our school hats. We're going to take a, a, a quick trip down a genealogy. We're going to go from Adam to Jesus. Stay with me here. For those of you who are teachers, I know y'all are visual learners, so we'll work through this. The first person that was ever created, the Bible says in, 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 in Genesis 1-1 that God created everything. Not people yet, but created the heavens and the earth. And after he created everything, he created man. And the first person he ever created was who? Amen. Y'all read your Bibles. Adam is the first person created. How God creates him is so dope. God, God, God sits up in heaven and he canvasses the earth and he digs down in the dirt and he forms a man by the name of Adam. He brings all the livestock and says, name all the livestock here. But after all of that, God looked at Adam and I think he felt bad for him. He's like, you know what? It's not good for man to be alone. So what I need to do is I need to give him uh, uh, some divine anesthesia, knock him out, pluck a rib out and, and create a woman. The woman that he created, y'all seen them curves? The woman that he created was Eve. Now, it's interesting. After Adam and Eve are created, God has some rules for him. He's like, listen, you're free to eat from everything in the garden. But the tree that's in the middle of knowledge of good and evil, don't touch that one. What did they do? They touched it because, you know, we're not good with rules. You tell me not to do it. That's exactly what I'm going to do. And so they actually go and they eat of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God curses them. But even in God cursing them, he gives a great promise to them. Genesis 3.15, please put that in your notes. Genesis 3.15 is the first promise of a savior. The Bible says that God looked at the serpent and he said to the serpent, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. Yeah. 
saying that the, the, the seed that comes out of you, Eve, will come one day will be a Messiah. So she believes it. He believes it. They get busy. They have, they be, they're fruitful and multiply and they have their first son, a guy by the name of Cain. Now, Cain it has anger management problems. For, you, unfortunately, Ayana fixed my life isn't for th- thousands of years. So he, he don't have nobody to give him therapy. It's just him. And, and he gets angry with his brother. His brother is by the name of Abel. He gets angry with Abel and strikes him with a rock and kills him. And he's out of there. After, <laughs> after Abel, Cain is left alone. But don't worry, Genesis 3.15 has to be fulfilled. God cannot lie. If he said the promise is going to come through you, it's going to come through you. So what does he do? They have another child, Seth. Now, Seth is so important. Seth is important because eight generations later, out of the loins of Seth, y'all still with me? Out of the loins of Seth comes a man by the name of Noah. Noah is born eight generations later and he comes through the lineage of Seth. Noah is great because Noah is told to build the ark. I'm going to flood the earth. There's great wickedness on the earth and therefore I'm going to flood everything. But eight people will be saved. The eight people that are saved is Noah, Noah's wife. Noah has three sons and their wives. So eight people are saved. Who are the sons of Noah? Here they are. Shem. Y'all know the next one? Okay. Ham's coming. Japheth. And Ham, here's what's important. Don't miss Shem. Shem is important because Shem is carrying Genesis 3.15 promise. How do I know that? Because through Shem, eight more generations, we get a guy by the name of Terah. Now, you may not know that name Terah, but that name is very important. Why is it important? Because from Terah comes Abraham. Abraham gets the same promise that Adam and Eve got. In Genesis 22, God looks at Abraham and says, from your seed will the nations be blessed. That is the Messiah. From Abraham's lineage will come a Messiah. Abraham has a son by the name of Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Y'all know y'all Bible. I love it. Has a son named Jacob. Now, Jacob must have had a few hot boy summers because... Jacob had a bunch of kids. Reuben. He had Simeon. He had Levi. He had Dan. He had Gad. Y'all know all this? Y'all so deep. He had Nephetali. Through Jacob, we get Asher. Through Jacob, we get Issachar. Through Jacob, we get... Uh-oh. Through Jacob, we get Zebulun. Through Jacob, we get Benjamin. Through Jacob, we get... Joseph, whom we're talking about today, through Jacob, we get Judah. Please don't miss Judah. Judah's so important. Why is Judah important? Because we're in Genesis 39 now. Fast forward 10 more chapters, you got Genesis 49. In Genesis 49, Jacob calls all his sons together before he dies, and he gives them all a blessing. And the blessing that he gives to Judah is in Genesis 49, verse 10. Here's the blessing he gives to Judah. He says, the scepter will not depart from your house. In other words, Genesis 3.15 is going to be fulfilled through Judah. Now, we get from Judah... It's easy to trace it straight to David. How do I know? Because David is born in Judah. He is from the lineage of Judah. After David, it's easy to make a good beeline to Jesus. How do I know? Revelation 5 gives Jesus two nicknames. The first nickname is Root of David. 
The, the second nickname is Lion. Y'all read your Bibles. Lion of Judah. Now, let me show you why from Adam to Jesus, it's important that Potiphar keeps his zipper. I mean, Joseph keeps his zipper up. Watch. Don't miss this. If if Joseph falls with Potiphar's wife in Genesis 39, we're in trouble because the promise that was made in Genesis 3.15 can't be fulfilled. Now, watch what happens. The Bible says, now, now again, God ain't in heaven like bound by Joseph's behavior. He can figure out another way, but he definitely uses Joseph's limits. He uses the fact that Joseph doesn't fall into the thirst trap. The Bible says that when he's lied on, he gets put into prison. Now, let me tell you why that's important. Because if he gets caught in the act, he's not put in prison, he's killed. If he's killed, you're not able to get from Genesis 3.15 to Jesus. But he's put into a prison. Now, this is deep. When he's in the prison, read the next chapter, Genesis 40. Because he meets two people. He meets a cupbearer and a baker. And these cup, this cupbearer and a baker are cupbearers and bakers to Pharaoh. He interprets their dream. He gets out of jail uh, and he interprets the dream of Pharaoh. And when he interprets the dream of Pharaoh, he is put second in command. He's literally prime minister of Egypt. Watch how important this is. Because he's prime minister of Egypt, one of his responsibilities is I'm over the wheat and over the grain. The Bible says that a famine hits Egypt. A famine hits the land and it's so great. You know, this is an agrarian culture. If you have a famine, you don't eat. And so Joseph is able to sit up as second in command and store up the grain. He's in charge of it. Well, when the famine hit, Jacob and all of his brothers, save that Insta, that Insta story for later. When, 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 Joseph, when Joseph sees his brothers come to Egypt to buy grain, the Bible says that he protects them, that he brings them in, that he gives them the wheat that they need. Why is that important? Because if Joseph doesn't protect them. Judah dies. Judah dies in a famine. You don't get to Jesus. So what happens is because Joseph had boundaries, I'm able to get to Christ. Because Joseph had limits, I'm able to have liberty. Because Joseph has won't fall into the thirst trap, I will hear stuff like, there is therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Because Joseph had boundaries, you and I that have trusted in Jesus get liberty. Is that not good news? You got to understand something about the thirst trap. If you fall into the thirst trap, you never know how will it impact another generation. Do you know that your lack of boundaries could affect your grandchild that you don't even know yet? Your lack of boundaries could affect another generation. And we think we sin in a vacuum. You don't sin in a vacuum. Your sin has the potential to have a ripple effect. And I packed something else. I'm able to get from Adam to Jesus simply because Joseph had boundaries. Who is it in this room that you came in today and you, you're lacking good limits? You're, you're lacking boundaries. You're in that relationship and it's a sinful relationship. I was thinking like, Lord, am I going to be light on them today? Now nah, you, you, you need to hear this. You need to hear that it's great wickedness and it's sin. And that the great wickedness and sin is against God. You'll create stronger boundaries when you understand that it is offense to God. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Here's what we got to do. I'm over time, but we need to pray. Because there are people in this room right now that fell in the thirst trap. 
You're dating the thirst trap. You're caught in thirst trap. Or worse, you are the thirst trap. Somebody in this room is in the midst of deep sin. And it might not be behavior because you know you can have sinful thoughts. Okay, you're not going to be real. You, you, you know many of us are in the thirst trap in our mind. When it comes to, when it comes to, to, to sex, sometimes it's not sex, it's emotional connections. Because some people don't want to sleep with you, they just want to know that they can. They, they don't really want to go all the way, and once they see that they can, they're done with you. You got caught up in emotional attachment. Here's my prayer today, that you would break free. That you would realize the danger in that sin. So let, do me a favor. We ain't got a lot of time. If it's you, if you know that I've made bad decisions before, I don't always, I'm almost close to falling in the thirst trap. If that's you, can you do me a favor? Just come to the altar.